Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. And today we are continuing on with this series where we have been unpacking and going through the book, Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. And we have really talked, uh, I think we're on the third episode of this series so far, where we're just unpacking chapter by chapter what this means in becoming your own banker so that you really have the context and the concepts to be able to apply infinite banking in the way that Nelson Nash originally intended and really glean the full wisdom that he had when he just so astutely observed this ability to use whole life insurance in a powerful way to finance the life purchases and the the things that you have going on in your everyday life to maintain a position of control. And so Bruce, today we're going to be continuing on. I love talking with you about Nelson Nash, because even as we were talking right before the show, you've had so many conversations with him in addition to the book. Um, So you don't just have the secondhand experience of reading his work, you have the personal relationship as well. And certainly I met him, we had him on the podcast, but I love that you have that long ongoing relationship. And so you're going to be able to bring a lot of that into this conversation. But before we get started, we're talking about the problem today. We we unpacked last time. We we're talking about the um, grocery store analogy and why you don't want to um, steal the peas. We talked about um, the cost of capitalizing your bank and why it takes so much work upfront to be able to get something going so that you can maintain or so that you can get to profitability to to get to that break even point and why it's worth it anyways. And um, so, Bruce, before we dive into the the problem as Nelson. Um, positions it in this book. What are your thoughts as we're getting ready for this section of the book? So as as I mentioned on a lot of podcasts is that I believe people try to overcomplicate uh, the infinite banking concept and um, us included sometimes. I think, um, you know, when we're trying to demystify or help people understand, you know, a lot of times we we know things that we're not actually explaining. And Nelson used to say all the time, you know, this is mostly caught, not taught. Uh, so I think w- in this episode, if people can just really understand that what Nelson is saying, the problem is, and we, we have lost sight of the problem. And what Nelson is saying is that the, the need for finance is much greater than the need for savings. Um, and that sounds weird, but um, what he's saying is if you if you really calculate how much money goes out the door for financing things, um, then you're going to see that that's a lot greater amount than how much people actually put away for savings. And so if you could eliminate the need for finance, then that money can obviously sh- be shifted into savings. And the other thing in this episode, I think people... Nelson was a big uh, proponent of getting all the financing out of their out of your life. He th- he thinks it's not only good for you economically, but it's also good for the United States that we we put some restrictions on how much money is being lent out by the banks through fractional reserve banking, which devalues our money. 
but also he just thought it, he just thinks it's a great way to live your life where you don't have any uh, outgoing payments. Now, there's a difference. We all know from previous podcasts, we say there's a difference between debt and liability. And so we often talk about a liability as being not that bad because there's an asset backing that. Nelson would agree because I've talked to Nelson before about this. And I, and I would say, Nelson, I don't understand. You know, um, you know, you have somebody that has a 3% mortgage and he, and he would say, well, well, yeah, but it's not about percents. It's about the volume. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but he also said, whatever makes that person comfortable, go ahead and do. If they're, if they don't want to pay off their home loan and that doesn't make them comfortable, then, then just do, you know, help people in the other aspects of their lives. So he didn't even get the, as he called them, the snakes or the banks. He called them the snakes all the time. He didn't get the snakes out of his life until he was 67. So um, it's not, it's a, it's a process that everybody goes through. It's a banking process that everybody goes through. And so that's what people should be thinking about as they listen to the podcast. I think it's a really interesting um, place to start with this um, this chapter. So we're on page 18, if you're following along in your book. And um, he starts with a Bible verse from John 5, 6. And this is where Jesus saw the paralytic man and said to him, he learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, do you want to get well? Which seems like a very strange question. Wouldn't anybody who is sick and suffering and in a bad state desire to be improved. And yet many times, well, we just say, well, this is what we expect. This is our normal. This is what I'm used to. I've been so um, ingrained in doing things this way that there can't possibly be a different way. And so that question really strikes to the, the heart and the root of the matter saying, okay, but there is a better way. Are you interested? Not just assuming that everyone who's in a bad way wants to be improved. And I love that he starts there. Yeah, this this happens with people that inquire to um, actually meet with somebody at the money advantage. You know, they they are trying to um, have a miracle done by infinite banking. And, you know, we don't necessarily agree with Dave Ramsey as far as everything he does but the one great thing that dave does and the one great thing that nelson has always said is that you have to have good money habits mm -hmm. and infinite banking is not going to change your good money habits yeah yeah i should have said into good money habits it's not going to make you into good money habits you have to de develop good money habits and then take them to great money habits by by the infinite banking concept um and so i often advise people you know we want you to be able to to get to your point to where you're saving a thousand dollars a month before you even try to do this and the problem is there's a lot of people out there when i say people i'm talking about people in our industry out there that are saying this is a great way to get out of debt mm -hmm. because you can and, and our, our great friend, James Nethery, was just talking about this on his podcast a couple of weeks ago. You know, there's people that have $25,000 worth of credit card debt. And there's people in the industry out there trying to tell them, 
oh, well, here, we'll just, we'll just, instead of paying extra to the credit card, we'll pay into the, to the life insurance policy. We'll, we'll get that compounding effect and then we'll borrow, borrow against it to pay off the credit card. But they never address the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is that in two years, these people not only will still have the credit card debt because they still have bad habits, but now they also will have a loan against their policy and a premium payment coming up that they can't pay. Mm-hmm. And so we are dedicated, the, the, the Nelson Nash Institute is dedicated into doing this correctly. And that's why I tell people all the time, Nelson's book is, is more about the human condition of, on their mindset than it is actually about the numbers. And yet everybody tries to make it about the numbers. It's so funny how we do that because numbers are tangible, right? They they right. feel more practical. They feel objective. They feel like something we can lock around and make sense of. But the numbers are telling a story. And if we don't follow the story, we lose sight of what the numbers are there for. And so I love that you um, brought that up and and the whole idea that it's really important to focus on um Gosh, I just lost the word. The the not you didn't say the story that they're telling. The um not the numbers, the opposite. What was that verse that you said? <laughs> it just poof, it was gone. Well, they're their human condition, you yes, know, how they the human how condition. They, yeah, how they how they think and feel about money in their lives. And how you think and feel about money is in your life is manifested in your habits. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to change that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to put light in this, but it's, it's kind of like the same way with the John five, six, the, the Bible passage is you're almost like an addict. You have to, you have to be so sick and tired of paying all this extra interest because of your poor habits before you can actually change your money habits. Just like an addict has to be sick and tired, just like this person in the Bible passage, has to feel so poorly that they want to change and get better. Yes, absolutely. So let's let's kind of run this um, tape, if you will. Let's run through the chapter and let's talk about what did Nelson identify as the problem. So I'm going to just lead you through some of the story that he unpacks here. And he starts by really saying, look, I don't want you to get the impression that infinite banking is just for certain people of wealth that are beyond you. So he's going to put a build a situation around what he calls the all American family. I don't know. Um, I, I know the book came out in 2008. I would say these figures are definitely dated. And so if you look at this and you say, well, that doesn't seem like a reasonable income that somebody would make today. Um, keep in mind, this is before the gigantic inflation that's just happened. And um, so just know that the numbers feel like they're a little bit dated. Well, yeah, the the edition, the the fifth edition came out in 2008, but the original um came out in 2000. Okay. And so and so, we're so over 20 did, years ago. Right, and he did not he did not um update a lot of the numbers. It was one of his biggest regrets that he didn't update you know some of the numbers. He he actually held strong about not updating you know, the numbers, because he kept, he kept saying the numbers don't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the concepts that matter. And that's why he almost refused to update the numbers. But yeah, but it's interesting it, it because 
the story is the same. So the concept and the fundamentals behind it are going to be the same thing. So um, he picks a guy who's 29 years old and making 28,500 per year after taxes. So again, don't get hung up on that's way less income than anyone makes today. Let's just go with the, the concept here. So what he then unpacks is that 20% is spent on transportation, 30% on housing, 45% on living, which he says, you know, things like clothes and groceries and um, charitable contributions, boat payments, your insurance premiums, vacations, all, all of the stuff that's your normal everyday life. And then he said, <clears throat> most of those things are all financed either through a credit card or through car loans, through boat loans, through uh, mortgages. So there's a lot of financing that's happening within that um, chunk that's your everyday living. And then he says that person is saving less than 5%. So if you add up these percentages here, 20% transportation, 30% on housing, we're up to 50%, 45% on living, we're up to 95%. And then the, the leftover is 5% for savings. And now he said, uh, but let's be as generous as possible. And he he says, well, let's just assume that this person's saving 10% and spending only 40% on living expenses. Now, we could probably overlay those percentages onto most Americans today and realize that the percentages don't change much. much the, the numbers might change, but the percentages are not really that far off from what we're spending. If you look at housing, transportation, and living expenses and savings. I mean, Bruce, do you want to comment about the savings rate that you typically are seeing? I mean, is 10% something that we should say is a general average or oh, do, you, do you think a lot of people are far below that? Oh, no, a lot of people are far below it. It depends upon, you know, it depends upon the economic time. You will see in times of distress that uh, people uh, actually save a little more. Um, in times of prosperity, they do not save. It's kind of the boom, the, what the Austrian economists would say are, is a boom and bust cycle. So you would think that in times of a boom, you're, you're where people are making more money, they would actually save more money. But here in the United States, we have this consumer attitude so that when people are making more money, they're actually spending more money. And we are encouraged to do that by our, our uh, monetary policies here in the United States. And what do I mean by that? Is they actually lower the interest rates mm -hmm. And they allow they people to say, well, you know, I can put it on this or I can buy a car at, you know, 0.9% financing so that they they go ahead and do it. Um, but no, I would say less than 5% from the people that I work with over the years is is definitely probably is definitely the number. And probably the most successful people are are pushing the 10%, but most of them are or less than 5%. So that's the difference between good money habits and poor money habits. So the mm. number one indicator of good money habits is a consistent savings that is a high percentage of your income on a regular basis. And let's and let's uh let's let's talk let's do a little more education here from our friend Todd Langford. You know, when you go from 5% to 10% savings, that's not a 5% increase in your savings. That's a 100% increase. Mm -hmm. in your savings. And so it really, really then uh, pushes your overall comfort level uh, into the future um, by, a, by greatly and influences greatly by just simply a change in the amount of money you put away in for savings. Absolutely. So then he 
talks about the main problem here is that all of these items, so the the expenses of our life, not savings, but everything else. So the, the 90 to 95% of what we're spending is often finance. And so then he kind of walks through a typical automobile financing package. And again, these numbers are not indicative of how you can buy a car today for the most part, but- um, No, they're getting closer though. Yeah. (laughs) From inflation. Yeah. So then he has um, a car that you're buying for 10,550 for 48 months with an interest rate of 8.5% and payments of $260.05 per month. And then what he kind of, goes through this um, this process of realizing that, okay, 95% of the cars that are traded in or sold are not fully paid for. So somebody financed a vehicle, paid on it for a period of time, and then sold it before it was fully paid off. And they're thinking, well, here's my percent rate. And in this case, 8.5%. I mean, that's high for today, but the cost of the car is low for today. I, I don't know if you can buy a new car for $10,000. I, I don't think you can buy any new car for that. But uh, maybe a used car. Um, so if you're in a position then that you're saying, well, I've paid on this vehicle or I've paid on this house. He's going to talk about mortgages in a second. You've paid for a period of time. It's not fully paid off. Now you're trading it in, you're selling, you're getting a new vehicle. You're always at the beginning stages of the financing. And what's happening is that most of the volume of interest or the payments that you pay at the beginning are interest, not principal. And this is really true in most cases, if you look at auto loans, if you look at mortgages, and um, Bruce, I actually even went over to calculator.net because you can use this and anybody can go here. You can pull up, uh, there's a calculator specifically for mortgages and you can put in any home price. I just put in one for 820,000. I put a down payment of zero, a 30 year term, and I put interest rate of 5.28%. Um, And then I can go down to the annual amortization schedule. And what I can realize is that my first year, and now I'm not looking monthly, but I'm just saying in the first year, I will have paid 43,000 in interest and I will have put 11,000 towards principal. So conceptually, what you're realizing is I'm putting a lot towards interest in the beginning, less towards principal. And so what that's doing is the interest payments are then turning the wheels of the banking engine, the banks being not me, and I'm putting all this money in someone else's control rather than my own. Bruce, I mean, we yeah, can unpack a lot more here, but what do you, what do well, you want it's, to say? It's I, I actually did the same thing with that car payment. And um, you find out that, well, it's a smaller, it's a smaller amount. So it's not quite as, it's not quite as the difference, but the first, the, fir- the, the very first payment, you're paying $40 of interest and 200 and um, only a hundred or excuse me, $220 to to principal, um, so that you have to understand that it's not about that interest rate of eight point five percent. It's about the volume of interest, and this is the concept that is very, very hard for a person to understand. We talk about this when we're trying to figure out which which credit cards to pay off first, because everybody's like. Oh, I'm just going to pay off the one with the highest interest rate. But if you have if you have one like a 29.9%, but you only have $400 balance and you have one that's, you know, at $35,000 balance at 3%, then actually the maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. Maybe we want to take my nine point yeah, 9.99%. <clears throat> so now you're 
you're paying uh, $3,500 a year on that particular credit card. And the other one, you're only spending, you know, like $12 a year. So the volume of $3,500 is much greater than the, the $12, obviously. And so this is the concept that the volume is greater than the rate. And he uses a he uses a doctor's office when you get a shot that it's not about how much you're or, or how fast they're putting the, the injection, drug into yeah. the injection. That would be like the rate, how much the interest rate is, but the volume uh, of it, whether it's one milligram or 10 milligrams, if it's a 10 milligram one, it could potentially kill you over a one milligram one no matter how fast you put it in. So this is a, a, a great analogy that I think a lot of people can really wrap their heads around if, if they really take a, uh, the time to understand it. I think it's very interesting to then consider it's not just about the rate. It's really about the volume of interest, which then makes you realize, well, every time I finance something in any way, I put it on my credit card, I get a a mortgage, I have a <clears throat> store credit card, I have anything that I'm paying interest on at all, then the question is how much of my income that I'm spending is actually going towards interest versus going towards the cost of that thing. And so um, Nelson works through an example of a mortgage as well. I don't know if we need to necessarily unpack those numbers. The, the concept is the same, but what he basically right. says is he said here for a mortgage specifically divide the amount of divide the amount paid out in the interest and closing costs and you find that 86% of every dollar paid out goes to the cost of financing so then he kind of unpacks this whole big big question of well what percent of every dollar goes to finance costs and he looks through all of the percentages of what you're spending on housing and uh, transportation and your living and what loans look like. And he said, living is usually financed through loans and credit cards. And ultimately you end up with 34 and a half cents of every disposable dollar paid out in interest. What that means is there's a 3.45 to one ratio of interest paid out to savings if you're saving 10%. So I hope that doesn't sound confusing. I think it could sound really confusing, but basically he's saying if every dollar you make, you're spending 34 and a half cents for finance costs. And if you're saving only 10% of your income, well, that's one cent. I mean, 10 cents of that dollar. So you have this ratio then of your, you have about three and a half times as much going towards interest cost than you have going towards savings. And he's saying that's ultimately the problem. We have so much money that's going to turn the engine of the banking institution rather than money that's going into this good savings habit that I have that I can turn into a banking system for myself. I mean, how would you um, add to that, Bruce? Well, so I think what it, what happens is, is that people get so focused on, and this happens whether you go buy furniture, whether you go buy a car, even a, a mortgage, uh, a home, they always say, well, you can afford this much payment per month. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it has nothing, it has nothing to do whether how much the volume of the interest is that you're going to be paying on that payment. 
and and people do this all the time. They they look at the they look at the end end goal of their cash flow awareness, and they say, "Oh, well, we have an extra four hundred and fifty dollars at the end of the month, so we could go out and buy a car." And the payment, as long as it's long as it's not any more than four hundred fifty dollars, we can make that we can make that payment, and we're fine. So why shouldn't we do it? Well, the 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 point he's trying to make is is that yes, you can do it as far as your lifestyle, but is that the best that you can possibly do? Because a lot of that four hundred fifty dollars is going towards interest. Mm-hmm. If you could delay, if you could delay satisfaction until the future where you actually save up that same payment into a specialized design life insurance contract and then borrow against and then make that payment back to your policy and then rinse and repeat. He used to always say his wife got a car, a new car every four years, whether she liked it or not. And you can go into all the like depreciation and then, you know, um, but the, but the payment was basically the same because he was trading the car in that was paid off other than like the previous where it wasn't paid off. And that just keeps snowballing on top of it. So it shouldn't be about what you can afford to pay at the end of the, at the end of your month. And you look at your cash flow where it shouldn't be about that. It should be understanding the the entire concept. I like Bruce that you just pulled something out that I think is really important for people to hear. It's not that Nelson said, don't buy anything. He didn't say pinch all your pennies, never purchase, live, you know, where you're saving 90% of your income and live like a pauper. I mean, he did not say that. That's not what he's saying. He is saying instead of purchasing where you are borrowing from the banking institution first, and you're buying as quickly as possible because you can, He's saying, delay the gratification, put those same dollars into your control, and then that starts your banking engine. You have the ability to create your own banking system where you're not just paying interest to the mortgage mortgage companies and the banking institutions. Instead, you're in a position of earning not just interest, but earning interest in dividends. You're growing your capital while you are enjoying the same type of lifestyle. So Bruce, um, he talks about this as a pilot as well. And do you want to unpack kind of what he says with the headwind and the tailwind and how that how that whole idea works? Um, yeah, this is this is great. Um, Nelson and I used to talk about this because I was actually um, a science teacher in my first career, and I actually taught meteorology, and we actually went over these particular concepts. So I enjoyed talking to him about this. So he was a pilot. And pilots understand that um, you can't you can't fly a plane in a vacuum because if you have if you a vacuum means you have no atmosphere there, and a plane can only obtain lift if it actually has uh, an atmosphere to produce that lift, and it has something to. Uh, um, we can't go into all the science about it, but it's um, the the air is rushing over the top of the wing, and it has to rush over that top of the wing faster than it does on the bottom of the wing for it to produce lift. And so you have that, but that atmosphere also causes what we call drag against the thrust of the plane. So think of it as friction 
or think of it about pushing against the plane. Well, the less drag you have on the plane, less things that are pushing against the plane, the faster the plane can go. So his analogy was that financing is a drag against your, um, your finance costs are dragging against your financial life. So if a plane was you and you were getting a lot of headwind and, you're, and your plane can only fly a certain amount of airspeed, um, let's say it's, it can only fly 100 miles an hour, but it's being pushed with winds in excess of 100 miles an hour, a pilot would not continue to fly because they're actually going backwards. So the best thing they can do is actually land the plane and wait for a tailwind. Now he got into a little bit more complicated than that because he started talking about highs and lows. And these are atmospheric pressures that we see. And it's it's about <clears throat> on a high, you actually have clockwise spinning of, of winds in the atmosphere. And on a low, you have counterclockwise spinning. And so his point was, if you're in a counterclockwise and you're actually flying into the clockwise, you you should actually land until it comes to where it goes all the way around you. And now it's pushing you. That same wind is pushing you from the backside. And, and, be a that is, and that's a tailwind. And that is about, about really delaying gratification. Wait for something. So that you can actually have tailwind, and his tailwind is is actually eliminating financing costs. So it's a really good analogy. If you understand science at all, you probably it's probably a little helpful to understand that. But just if you're just a person and you've done any kind of walking into the wind, mm-hmm. um, you probably can analyze it that way and say, yes, much difficult to walk into the wind. If I turn around and walk the opposite direction, I really gain momentum. And so that's what Nelson says, eliminate the financing volume and you'll really gain momentum. I love that you um, connected all the dots with that really well. I think what was also really interesting is that he said, you can still have your airspeed indicator on the airplane reading that you're going hundred miles an hour because that's how fast the plane is flying. But then if you have a headwind, he says of 345 miles an hour, he took that finance cost of 34.5 cents and he amplified that to a, a, a wind speed of 345 miles an hour. But what, what ended up happening is that he was saying, well, if you have this headwind pushing you faster than you're flying, then you're it, it's pushing you backwards. The opposite is true when you have the tailwind behind you that you have this all this money and this capital in your control and you have your own banking system working for you, it's pushing you faster than the airspeed is registering. So you might be flying that hundred miles an hour, but now the push comes from behind you and it's accelerating, amplifying your speed. And so he actually said the then the difference is tremendous. It's not again, just, well, I'm just adding a little bit. I'm not going backwards and I'm also going forward. And the difference of those two is twice the, the gain in speed. So I'm not sure that's coming um, through very clearly, but if you read the book, that's on page 19. Um, that's where he really unpacks the ground speed, the airspeed, the um, and the wind, the t- the headwind and the tailwind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then that- finally, I think the thing that he's trying to make is the analogy is most people, and we talked we talked about this on several podcasts. 
most people are just trying to make the plane fly faster in this situation. Yes. And that's and that's what everybody tries to do. If they're feeling stressed because of all the the finance costs, they just say, well, I'll just make more money and then that'll be okay. But we've already said that if you don't have good habits, if you just make more money, all you do is spend it and you just are in the same situation. You just have higher balances with higher income. Mm-hmm. So he makes or that Bruce, point they, very much so. Or then they say, well, instead of just making more money, why don't I just get a better rate of return on the money I'm, I'm investing? Well, he equivalates, he equates that. I don't know if equivalent is a word. He um, compares that to saying, well, now I'm still having this gigantic headwind pushing me backwards and I'm trying to fly the plane instead of 100 miles an hour, 105 miles an hour. So I'm just going to fly the plane a little faster. So people try to solve this by one of two things that are both not very effective. One, just make more money and it all solves every problem. Doesn't work because you still carry those same money habits with you, like you just said, Bruce. And secondly, just trying to get a better rate of return on the small amount that you're saving does not overcome this finance cost where he says the most profitable thing you can do is to learn to control the environment. If you can control the environment that you're flying your plane in, or you can control the environment that you're doing your financing and you're living your money spending and having your money habits in, then you're in a position of having the most profit. So that's about controlling the banking equation. And that is what creates a perpetual tailwind. Yeah. So I, what I'd like to kind of wrap this section up, Rachel, is some real life things that I've done with my clients that have First of all, you have to evaluate, you have to look at your, inside yourself, and you actually have to evaluate what you're doing with your money habits. Now, I've had a lot of clients who've had what I would call one-off situations where they got into financial uh, financing, where and it would be because they had a, a, a bad thing happen to their home. Um, I just, matter of fact, I just have one right now that incurred $15,000 of debt because the sewer line from their home collapsed and they had to do that. So they did not have enough in their emergency fund. So they had, a, they had about 5,000. So they had to do $10,000 and they, they had to finance it. That is a one-off thing. Mm-hmm. Now, we're, I'm helping them actually figure out the best way to pay that off. Um, medical bills are another one that are kind of one off. It's not a habit thing. Mm-hmm. So I help them that. But if it's truly a habit thing where we see six, seven, eight, ten credit cards and they're playing the credit card game and the credit card game is, you know, okay, um, I have a balance. I'm going to get zero financing for 18 months pay that one off and going back. That is a big red flag mm-hmm. uh, about what's happening. So what I often do to them is I, I give them a cash flow awareness exercise. I, I, I make sure they know where their money's flowing. We talk about ways to reduce um, their money. And of course, we also talk about ways to make more money, but we get on a plan. And then I tell them, if you, in one year, we review it in one year, this is our goal to reduce the money outflow to financing by this. And, and sadly, um, I don't have the exact quantitative number, but over my career, 
I would say less than 10% of the people are actually able to, to change their money habits. And they actually get where they can, using those tools, get into good money habits and get in a better situation where they're not financing everything. So maybe the people out there that are struggling with this, they may consider um, teaching the next generation so they don't struggle. But the people that are not struggling and have good money habits, this is a way that they can actually get a tailwind. Mm-hmm. People that are making, you know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand. You know, we have people that are making four million dollars a year that are used in the IBC concept, and so those people are just enhancing their their money habits by using tailwinds. You know, and if you are listening and you're finding yourself in a negative situation with the negative money habits, you might be saying, well, it sounds like you guys are saying there's no hope for me. It's not that there's no hope. What you need to recognize is that there's no tactic or strategy or um, potential, yeah, I guess strategy. There's no strategic method of manipulating what you're doing well enough that will overcome that. Really what is needed is a complete mindset change about money in general. And so there's several tools that can be used for that. But I think just being in a position of self-education is very valuable and realizing that there is a way to handle money that you are in control of it and you want to be going towards that as much as possible. So if you are um, interested in diving into this book further, we're going to be continuing to unpack this in future episodes please go ahead and like this video. You can also subscribe wherever you're listening. If you're on a podcast, um, go ahead and rate and review us. If you are on YouTube, go ahead and give us a thumbs up, give us a comment. Um, We also love your questions. So pop your questions into the chat. You can also email us questions over at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. We love to do episodes all around your questions. Sometimes there's a bunch of questions all at once. Sometimes there's one question. That's something that we really spend a whole hour to unpack and really give you a lot of insight around because chances are if something's on your mind, it's on someone else's as well. So if you are wanting more information, please reach out to to us in those ways. You also, if you are saying, I think I'm ready and I really want to figure out how I can use this infinite banking concept for myself. I have good money habits. I want to take them to the next level. I want to um, be in a position of perpetual, having a perpetual um, tailwind and owning that banking function in my life. And I want to be in a position that I'm storing capital in a way that really is productive for me. And I'm I'm changing the way that I'm financing things. We'd love to have a conversation. You can book that call at themoneyadvantage.com. And so that's a 30 minute conversation where we just get the conversation started and say, are we a good fit in working together? Are we going to help you? What are your goals? And can is this something that would be aligned? Is it uh, really where you want to go with your financial life? So um, in closing, I'm going to just leave you with this last nugget of truth that we leave you with at every the end of every episode, and that is success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. We'll see you next time. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. 
Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on the moneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.